From NPR and WNYC, live from the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York, this is Ask Me Another. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, your host for another hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. But let me begin by welcoming our one-man house band, Jonathan Colton. Hello, Ophira. I need to ask you this right away, Jonathan. What do you think of when you hear this? Uh, That makes me think of two nouns separated by a conjunction. (laughs) Close. That is the sound of the law and order theme, or part of it. And that is a little tease, I guess you could say, because we have a law and order trivia match against our VIP, which is very important puzzler, Kelly Goff, coming up. Kelly is a political pundit and a bit of an MSNBC darling, and she'll be joining us later in the hour because right now we're about to get down to business with Nick Hudak and Curtis Dunn. They are our first two fabulous contestants. (laughs) Nick, you're a trivia guy? Uh, I generally like to think so. Do you uh, watch any Jeopardy? I do. Uh, My father actually was on Jeopardy. He... Did very well till the very end, and then we lost. But uh, we won a lovely refrigerator and a signed home edition. Wow. And you could hold that against him for the rest of your life. So that's good, too. We put it on the tape where it was like, (laughs) Tom goes to L.A. and gets his kicked. (laughs) Well done. Refrigerator. He gets his refrigerator kicked. Curtis, are you a trivia buff? I guess. I'm here. Yeah, well, (laughs) do you have any specialty? Oscar trivia. Interesting. All right, you watch Jeopardy? Uh, Yeah. Because Jeopardy is the bane of all quiz shows. Why, do you ask? Because they program contestants to answer every answer in the form of a question. We're going to embrace that. In this game, which is inventively called Answer in the Form of a Question, see what we did there? (laughs) The answer to each clue is a famous question. So I will ask you that, and after that, Jonathan will ask you a follow-up question that does not have to be answered in the form of a question. And either of you can buzz in. Ready? Yeah. Let's do it. A season of TV series Dallas ended with this cliffhanger. Nick. Who shot JR? Correct. I knew it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that about you. You you stay strong, Curtis. It's still early. It's a good attitude. Thank you. Here is your follow up question. Either one of you may buzz in for this. Who shot JR? Nick. No one. It was a dream sequence. Uh, no, that is an excellent guess, but it's not true. Somebody actually did shoot JR. Curtis, do you know what it is? Give me a hint. <laughs> no, love, I'm not going to give you a hint. I love it when they I have ask. no idea. It was uh, Kristen Shepard. Kristen Shepard. Yeah, no one gets that one. I get that <laughs> no one. One, one gets point that for me. One. Okay. What famous television advertising campaign featured a boy asking a turtle and an owl this question about candy? Curtis. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? That is correct. (laughs) Word for word. Here's your follow-up question. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Curtis. One, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is correct. You even did the uh, the accent of vowel. Uh, Yeah, there you go. The title of this Edward Albee play references a song from the Disney cartoon, The Three Little Pigs. Curtis. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? You got it. You guys are very good at this, and it's a little boring. 
pretend it's, pretend it's hard. Uh, here's your follow-up question here. Uh, at the end of the play, the character of Martha answers, I am, to the question, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? In the 1966 film adaptation, who played Martha? Ooh, they're both looking like, are you kidding? That's a question. They're pretending it's hard. I have a hint. This actress is also not afraid of marriage or divorce. (laughs) Nick. Elizabeth Taylor. There you go. (laughs) Abbott and Costello demonstrate poor communication skills in this sports-themed comedy routine. Who's on first? Nick. That is correct. We are tied up. This is very Ah. exciting. I know, it's okay. You only have 14 more questions. Your follow-up question... Who's on first? Nick. What? (laughs) I just want to say, before we go to Curtis for the answer, I just want to say that would have made it an amazing comedy routine. (laughs) If that was the answer. Curtis, who is on first? Who? Yeah, that's right. This animated live-action 1988 movie featured the immortal line, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Nick, you got that perfectly right. Well done. So it turns out that Judge Doom did actually frame Roger Rabbit. What actor played Judge Doom? Nick. Christopher Lloyd. That's correct. In the 80s, a supergroup of singers and celebrities known as Band-Aid came together to record this song to support famine relief. Nick. Do they know it's Christmas? That is correct. When the song Do They Know It's Christmas was recorded in 1984, what country's people did they refer to, and did they in fact know it was Christmas? That second question is a joke. (laughs) Curtis. Haiti? <laughs> you know what? He's young, so I'm going to let yeah, this slide. Okay. It's all right. It's... I wasn't even... So there's no cost for me to buzz in. Uh... No cost. No. Uh-oh, that was $5. South Africa? South Africa is, no, a, is a good idea. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is Ethiopia. Well done, Nick. You'll be joining us for Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show, so good luck with that. How about another hand for both our contestants? Curtis, who is fantastic... And Nick, who's moving on. We learned a lot in that one game. We did learn a lot. We learned a lot and we had a lot of fun. That's the thing about this show. But I think it's time for a tune. What do you feel like playing? Well, you know very well that earlier today, I suggested that I play Do They Know It's Christmas. Yeah. And everybody was like, no, you shouldn't play that because it's a terrible song. (laughs) So instead, I'm going to play this song, the title of which is a question. Darling, you gotta let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you gotta let me know Should I stay or should I go Always tease, tease, tease Happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine, the next is black If you want me off your back 
Come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go there will be trouble If I stay it will be double Come on and let me know Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Sneaky. Thank you, Jonathan Colton. Now, standing at attention, we have our next two contestants. We have Joe Altieri and Lorda Jordan ready for our next game. Just as a warm-up, Joe, can you give me any four letters that appear on the top row of a keyboard? T-R-Q-U. That's excellent. Well done, yeah. Now, Lauren, I know he took four out of the mix there, but can you add a couple to that? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, great. Um, Good. I like your attitude. P-O- Yeah. I-N-T? Yeah, more or less. Okay, yeah. You know what? (laughs) Just remember that. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, what are we going to play? Well, this game is called The Top Row because uh-huh. all the answers in this game can be typed using only the top row of letters on a computer keyboard. <laughs> so there are ten all together. The ten next to the tab key. Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-N-P. A simple mnemonic is to remember the word QWERTYUIOP. <laughs> and letters can be used more than once in the answer. Uh, as always, the contestant who gets more right will move on to our final round at the end of the show. Here we go. You might use your keyboard to tap out this message, limited to 140 characters. Lorna. Tweet? That is right. RT and HT to Lorna. Yes. <laughs> HT is hat tip? I just learned that. I love it. That's internet talk. In ballet, a twirl on your toes. Lorna. Pirouette? Yes. Some people call a seesaw this. Lorna. Teeter-totter. Zing, you are right. Yes. An aromatic mixture of dried plants and spices. Joe. Potpourri. Yes. (laughs) Gentlemen should always hold open doors for ladies, according to this. Joe. Etiquette. Yes. Nice. There's a gentleman right there, obviously. My chivalry has paid off. (laughs) Well done. If you are one of these, you never win. Lorna. Quitter. Yes. Brits don't wait in line. They do this. Joe. Q. Yes! Joe is getting all the polite things. He has etiquette, he cues, you know he buys potpourri. Joe is a nice young man, that's yes. why. Before Alaska became a U.S. state, it was a this. Lorna. Territory. Yes. All right, nice job. All right, that was close, but it turns out, Lorna, you won this round. Congratulations. You'll be moving on to our Ask Me One More Final Round at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Joe. Great contestant. Another hand for both of our contestants. Coming up, our VIP, that's a very important puzzler, is political analyst and author of the GQ candidate Kelly Goff. 
Plus, we're going to find out where philosophers go to laugh and escape existential crises. And speaking of philosophical questions, I ask you this. According to the book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is where we get all of our philosophy, what is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? The answer is coming up. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is NPR's Ask Me Another. Listening to Ask Me Another, I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and exactly one minute ago, I asked, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? For the answer, let's turn to our puzzle guru, John Chinesky. John? Hi, Ophira. Hello. In the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the supercomputer Deep Thought reveals that the ultimate answer is 42. But they neglected to determine the ultimate question, so they built an even bigger computer to determine that called Earth. That sounds to me like some lazy writing. Yes. <laughs> oh, but we love Douglas Adams. We well, do. Of course we right? do. Yeah. Ready or not, here are our next two contestants. Stan Lee and Charlie Esser are settling in behind their puzzle podiums. Charlie, mm-hmm. have you ever taken any philosophy? Uh, No. None at all? <laughs> not really, no. No, none at all. I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you were joined by Stan Lee, who I just have Hi. to point out, welcome, Stan Lee, is not the co-creator of Spider-Man. He is a much more important person. Actually, that's my secret identity. <laughs> How about you? Any philosophy uh, in your background? Uh, my academic advisor advised me to take intro and call her in the morning, and I majored in it for undergrad. Our next game is called The Philosopher's Comedy Club. And as a stand-up comic myself, just imagining this place sends chills down my spine. I can't imagine. I guess you'd find out what the sound of one hand clapping feels like. And the heckling would be out of control. Not enlightening enough. An unexamined joke is not worth telling. I think, therefore, you suck. (laughs) Tell me it's not going to be like that, John. No, it's going to be a little worse, actually. No. (laughs) Philosophers get a bad rap for being a bit boring, serious people, but uh, in this game we find out that many of them were originally stand-up comedians. It's true, it was Jean-Paul Sartre who said, I just flew in from hell, and boy am I tired of other people. (laughs) So contestants, you have to identify the philosophers who just might have told the following hacky jokes. And please, try the veal. Here we go. A lawyer, a plumber, and a used car salesman all die in a plane crash and find themselves at the pearly gates. Except they don't, because God is dead. Stan. Nietzsche. Nietzsche is right. Very good. Did you ever notice how the end justifies the means? What's the deal with that? Charlie. Emmanuel Kant? Not Kant. No. No. Stan. Niccolo Machiavelli. Machiavelli's right. Yes, way to go. Good steal. Take my wife, or at least the shadow of her that appears on the cave wall to which I spend my life chained, please. Charlie. Plato. Plato is right. (laughs) What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. In bed. (laughs) Stan. Uh, That was uh, the Tao Te Ching, Um, Lao Tzu. Not Lao Tzu, no. Charlie, for the steal. 
that would be hillel no not hillel Any, anybody here anybody else know it yes confucius. confucius give that lady one point very good how many philosophers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Only one. If he acts according to the maxim whereby he can, at the same time, will that it should become a universal law. Besides, it doesn't matter because the light bulb is in itself unknowable. Charlie? Bacon? Not bacon. Stan? Either Immanuel Kant or Ludwig Wittgenstein. Oh, Pick I, one. I like that idea, The right though. one. <laughs> Sorry. Flip uh, a coin if you Kant. have to. Kant. Kant is right. I do not agree with what she said, but I'll defend to the death her right to have said it. That's what she said. <laughs> Charlie. Uh, Locke. No, no, not Locke. Stan. Thomas Paine. Not Paine. Voltaire is right. Give that lady another point. Voltaire. I don't know who she is, but she's doing pretty well. Voltaire? I don't even know where. Hi. Hey. <laughs> a guy walks into a bar, and the bartender says, what can I get you? The guy says... Nothing. He who is attached to things will suffer much, according to the Tao. Stan? Uh, Lao Tzu. That's Lao Tzu. There Very good. Go. Okay, get ready. So a guy goes to a talent agent and says, Have I got an act for you? <laughs> it's a family. And the dad realizes that achievement of his own happiness is the only moral purpose of life. And the mom, she rejects ethical altruism and the son knows that government help is just as dangerous as government persecution and the agent says I love it what's the act called and the guy says the objectivists Stan Ayn Rand Ayn Rand is right Stan congratulations you have won in this philosophical round Stanley will be continuing to our final round how about a hand for Charlie, everybody? Have you been waiting for an opportunity to show the world just how much you know? Why not be a contestant on our show? We have a little quiz to give you to get you started, and then you can join us live on stage. So just send an email to askmeanother at npr.org, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at NPR Ask Me Another. Have no fear, we're about to dumb it down here a little bit. We are taking a departure from philosophy and going to pop music. And I'm sure our next two contestants are excited about that. We have Noel Camacho and Peter Hoffman, and I believe they can handle that. Let's find out. They are behind their puzzle hot seats, although they're standing, so it's more like puzzle hot spots. Noel, uh, you have some big things that you do with your life. As long as there are no follow-up questions. Yes, yes, that is I all do. you have to say is yes. <laughs> Biomedical engineer, that sounds like uh, something you tell people so they don't ask you any more questions because they'll just feel dumb. Is that right? It turns out it works pretty well. <laughs> I'm with a company that's developing tactile printers for the blind. That's amazing. Peter Hoffman, are you uh, developing any tactile printers for the blind? <laughs> You know, as, as often as I can. It's not your first time on public radio. This isn't, no. I was on uh, Small Things Considered. When you were a child? Yes, when oh, I was a child. That's I was adorable. six or seven. Well, we are happy to have you both. Jonathan, what are we playing? This is a musical game. It is an homage to a long ago time, the summer of 2012. 
It's called Call Me MB. <laughs> and it's based on the Carly Rae Jepsen song that you could not escape from in 2012, Call Me Maybe. So we have rewritten the lyrics to that song to be about famous people with the initials MB. Oh, dear. Contestants, ring in when you know the answers. The winner of this round will go on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. I like to eat, can you tell? Italian fare's what I sell. Did Iron Chef stuff as well? No, I own Italy. Mario Batali? That's right. I'm in the Toy Hall of Fame. Your board games all have my name. From Candyland's Fruited Plain to Sunken Battleships. Peter? Milton Bradley? That is right. My saddle's blazing, anxiety's raising, space balls was amazing. It's springtime for Hitler, baby. <laughs> Peter? Mel Brooks. That's right. Hey, I'm from New York, was on the OC. I'm in the tabloids, just look for MB. I don't think Mike Bloomberg was on OC, but... <laughs> It's not. It's a fantastic guess, though. Yeah, thanks for the question that we uh, had in our back pocket. No, no I'm just no. kidding. You're good. You're good. Noel, do you have a, a, a guess for that? Here's a hint. I don't know who this is. <laughs> that makes two of us. Anyone out there? Misha Barton. Oh, it's a girl. Misha Barton. The 80s loved me. My mane is curly. No ballad could be too much for MB. Noel? Michael Bolton? Yes. Oh, yeah. Are you a fan? Michael Bolton fan? I like Office Space. I do, too. I was going to say the same thing. Tea parties voting for this Minnesotan. I'm no Sarah Palin, but we have the same haircut. Peter? Michelle Bachman. That's right. Can I say that again with a more Yiddish accent? Yeah, I love that Michelle you made Bachman. her a little uh, Jewish. Michelle Bachman. <laughs> Back in the 90s, I was huge. They called me scary. They called me scary. They called me scary spice. Peter? Mel B? Yeah, wow. Yeah. I've been a bad boy. Don Corleone. Just be my Stella and call me Stanley. Peter? Uh, Brando? Yes, Marlon, Marlon Brando. Brando. There you go. <laughs> Noelle, you were a fantastic contestant. Congratulations, Peter. You'll be moving on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. Okay, Jonathan, I think we could use a little Joko brilliance to quiet the earworm that that game has recreated in my head yes, from I know. 2012. It has actually forced out of my head the song that I was going to play. <laughs> now I remember what it is. Just playing this chord helped me remember it because I'm a professional musician. I know you are. This is a, a song that I thought would be thematically related to that song. This is another song about making a telephone call, which apparently is a popular subject for popular songwriters. This is by Blondie. Color me your color, baby. Color me your color. Color me your color, darling. I know who you are. Come up off your color chart. I know where you're coming from. 
call me on the line. Call me, call me any, any time. Call me on a rhyme. You can call me any day or night. Call me. Cover me with kisses, baby. Cover me with love. Roll me in designer sheets, I'll never get enough. Emotions come, I don't know why. Cover up love's alibi. Call me on the line. Call me, call me any, any time. Call me, I'll arrive. You can call me any day or night. Call me. Thank you. Jonathan Colton. Blondie had a different uh, kind of view when it came to calling. She's no Carly Rae Jepsen, call me maybe. She's like, call me. I'm around. I I am around all the time. Please call me. Please. How many times do I have to say it? Call me. All right, let's welcome our next two contestants, Billy Zayek and Jessica O'Connell. Welcome to Ask Me Another. (laughs) Billy Zayek, you have a degree in library science? Yes, I do. Uh, what is your dream library job? I would like to work in a special library doing something with cataloging, hopefully. That sounds reasonable. That's, I like I'm, that. I'm very open. Jessica, you're a college career advisor and a bit of a pub trivia nut. A little bit. What's the name of your team? You Can't Stop the Machine. <laughs> We are paying tribute to all great TV game shows on this show. First Jeopardy, and now we take on Wheel of Fortune. Maybe one day we'll be an answer on their show. So this game is called Buy a Vowel. We're going to give you clues to a pair of words, and you need to add a vowel to the first clued word to get the second. For example, if we ask you to start with what's inside of a pen and turn it into a pig's grunt, you would buy an O and turn ink into oink. Adorable. Okay, and just to let you know, the vowel can go anywhere in the word. Let's do this. Start with the metal used in foil by a vowel and turn it into the pointy end of a fork. Jessica. Oh, boy. Um, I want to buy an E, and I'm going to add it to tin. You sure are? Yeah. And what's going to happen next? It'll become a tine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the slow start. (laughs) No apology needed. It felt like we were having puzzle dialogue. I kind of enjoyed it. Start with a broad's leg, like you do. You always start with a broad's leg. Start with a broad's leg, buy a vowel, and turn it into animals hunted for food. Billy. Gam, I would like to buy an E and make that into game. Perfect. Gam, I like that. I'm gonna, I gotta bring that back. Baby got gams. <laughs> it's a much older version of that song. Yeah, exactly. Start with the nickname for the region where you'd find Los Angeles and San Diego by a vowel and turn it into a type of media like Facebook. Billy. SoCal by an I and make it into social. You are correct. Start with a West African nation, buy a vowel, and turn it into Sasha Obama's older sister. 
Billy. Molly by an A, and Malia. Beautiful. It's amazing what you can do with these words. You know, just adding letters. We really, we really show people stuff with vowels. <laughs> Sometimes we can make bad things really nice things, like this one. Start with a viral pandemic that, yeah, that made headlines in 2003 by a vowel, and you turn it into garments for Indian women. Jessica. That's sar, and I'd like to buy an I to turn it into a sari. Very close. <gasps> and because you are so close, I just want you to notice that I said turn into garments for Indian women, which Ooh. may influence your first answer slightly. That would be sars by an I and turn it into sari. Yes. <laughs> I knew you meant that, Jessica. Also, I like the idea, if only one person has it, it's called SAR. Singular SAR. It's just, it's a, it's a just much less one. serious case if you get SAR. Right. It's like a 24-hour SAR kind of thing. It's a very special thing. case of SAR. SAR, yeah. Start with a Neapolitan treat, buy a vowel, and turn it into a city square where you might find it. Jessica. Neapolitan treat would be pizza. Add an A, and that would be a piazza. That is perfectly correct, yes. All right, you guys are at a tie with a few more questions to go. I know, feel the heat. Start with an Arctic fish from the salmon family, buy a vowel, and turn it into a place to sit down. Jessica. That would be char, add an I, and then it's chair. Correct. Start with some cylinders of nuclear fuel, buy a vowel, and turn them into a slang term for performance-enhancing drugs. Jessica. Rods, add an I, roids. You are correct. <laughs> Jessica, well done. You have done it. A couple points ahead, and you are going to move on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. Billy, fantastic job. Thank you so much for being on our Ask Me Another stage. Well done to both of them. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. Coming up in the political commentary system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The bloggers who explore the issues and the political pundits who tackle the opposition. Kelly Goff is both. Following this break, we'll hear her stories. And play some Law & Order trivia right after this. to Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of trivia, puzzles, and word games. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and joining me is political analyst and author Kelly Goff. Welcome to Ask Me Another, Kelly. I have to ask you right off the top, you're young, uh, you're beautiful, you're obviously oh. very smart. My mother clearly paid you to write this intro. Yes, she did. We're off to a great start. $500. Uh, <laughs> you seem sane and lucid. Okay. Uh, why and how does someone decide to become a political pundit? Oh, you know what? 
I actually didn't decide, which sounds like a a somewhat crazy thing to say, but I was working in politics. I'd interned on Hillary Clinton's Senate campaign when I was in college. And when I graduated, it's, I'm told this never happens, but literally I was working part-time at a law firm and that's how I decided not to become a lawyer. And I kid you not, I got a phone call and someone said, hi, this is uh, the office of Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. We'd like you to come in for an interview. And because I'd interned on Senator Clinton's campaign and they knew some people there, they had me come in an interview and I got that job and I was working as a totally entry level constituent services person. That means when you all go online and say, my mailman's delivering my mail late, I got a pothole, it's not being dealt with. That was me. Wait a second, who, someone who was, listens to that and reads someone that? Someone reads that mail and that was me oh. and who often deals with the people calling to scream at you, right? Because that was you? That was me because oh. a lot of people who don't have things to do during the day like to just like call and bother and be like, you know, I've called five times. The mail is still arriving at 302. It's supposed to be here by 230. And I just think this is not acceptable. I'm a taxpayer. Wow. I'm writing another letter. Wait so a second. I, what do you say to those people? You write a, you write a letter. They are taxpaying citizens. And so those of you who aren't abusing constituent services people, that's your taxpaying right to do so. So go home and start writing letters right now. I, uh, you have the right to do so. I can't wait to talk about what time my mail comes. That's, uh, that's, that's driving me crazy. Of, that was actually one of the most popular. Yeah, the, there are so many stories from that. One woman, actually, I kid you not, this is a true story. She kept writing letters because she was convinced that the postal service workers in her neighborhood were racist. They were black, and she was convinced they were hiding her mail. So she kept writing me letters... And you can imagine her face when she arrived at the office because she didn't think I was responding as quickly enough. And they, she said, I'd like to see Kelly Goff because I've been sending her letters about the racist black people at the post office. And I walked down and I said, hi, I'm Kelly. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> she was like, the conspiracy is larger than convinced. I thought. She was like, it's a huge conspiracy. They're taking over everything. I'd love to hear what she thinks about the president. Um, anyway, so I totally sidetracked. The point is, after I, I worked there, I noticed a number of my friends who were in my age group were becoming registered independents, so a number of my African-American friends in my age group. And, you know, call me crazy, I thought most African-Americans were Democrats, at least that's kind of what I had been taught and knew and from the campaigns I'd worked on. And so I thought, you know, this is interesting, and if I were a writer, you know, someone should be writing about this. This, is a, this seems to be a trend. Once I sort of met the fourth person, and I called my mom, who's in the audience, and she said, oh, one of my pastors is a registered independent, and he's African-American and under 40, and that seemed to be sort of the trend, is that people who were under 40 and didn't go through the segregation in the civil rights era. So my friend, one of my close friends, had a birthday party, and I walked in, and he says to me, listen, there's a guy here. And you got to tell him about your book. And I said, what book? (laughs) I have a book, it turns out, huh? Yeah. And so it was really timing because it was like the book was sold. President Obama announced he was running. Young voters turned out in Iowa. And that's what really changed my life. That that sort of three-month window is just like my entire writing career. I did not have a writing career And then your second book, The GQ Candidate, is actually fiction. You went for a novel. Yes. And I went completely... The other extreme, it's completely fantastical. It's about a presidential candidate who's African-American and has white parents, but he's actually adopted. And, and so this book was, what we were told is it was the first novel that was really through the eyes of the closest friends of a candidate. It wasn't about the candidate. It was sort of, I mean, people, the shorthand they use was entourage, but it was really about what you would do if your best friend comes and says, look, I know we did some kind of wacky things in college, but I'm running for president. And this but it's is time to bury the evidence. Kind of time yeah. to bury the evidence. 
ask your wife not to say anything, you know, the whole thing. And obviously this is fiction, uh, but I'm wondering, do you know if uh, Obama read it or did he comment? Or just because it's obviously you, you were talking about a very different story, but it is a African-American man running for president. With yes. multiracial parentage and the whole thing. I don't know if he read it, but I'd love to get that rumor started because I hear it's helpful to book sales. All right. Can we spread that? Did someone, I think someone here said that they saw him holding a copy in a photo or I something so somewhere, too. right? Yeah. Can we get that retweet going? Yeah, he, was, he was reading it, uh, I think, just this morning, right? Yes, well, that's what I heard. Between. So as someone that understands, you understand strategy very well, political strategy, the games that play in politics, the threat of the book with scandal and everything, I will ask you this. As a challenge, would you like to try playing a game on Ask Me Another? Uh, as long as it has nothing to do with philosophy. That was terrifying. <laughs> no problem. No that problem. was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We're not going to do philosophy. Okay. It's going to be very fun. How about a hand for Kelly Goff? Oh, thank you. This is fun. Thank you. We're going to get you suited up in the puzzle uh, hot seat over here, the puzzle podium. Jonathan, I'm so glad you're here. Can you please play that thing we talked about earlier? You're talking about this thing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, so good. That was so good. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. So, Kelly, you told our producers that you're a huge Law & Order fan. I hope uh, that's... The original. The original. Okay, so you're sticking with your story. It is knockoff. Okay, good, because we, we wrote up a whole game about okay. this, so we're hoping that you weren't just pretending. I hope I didn't oversell it. It's, it's going to be fine. To take the edge off a bit, we found this lovely woman that is joining you on stage. Lori Buckman is going to be helping you out. Lori, uh, you were a criminal justice major, is that right? I, I was. And your love for law and order is deep? Deep. How did, are you an original? Deep. Or, or do you do the spinoffs? Do you care? Uh, I, well, Vincent Onofrio, of course, but no. You're a purist. I'm, an, I'm a purist, the original. <laughs> okay, very yeah. good. How did you feel when it got canceled, the original? I cried a bit, yeah. You cried a bit? Oh, I, I thought, that. yeah. Okay. She will be like your lifeline, Kelly. You can go to her if you need some help. And your goal is to get five right. Okay. Then you win. Out of how many? 17. No. (laughs) Okay. Let's try this first one. Law and Order is famous for its opening narration, which begins, in the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. Name them. The district attorney who prosecutes the offender and And the police. police... Who? Oh. Oh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't asked yet. I wasn't that, asked for okay. help yet. So, Sorry. Uh, it's the district attorney who prosecutes the offender and the police who something. The, yes. Who? What is it, Lori? It's the, yeah, police and then the, yeah, and then the. And the district is. <laughs> Whatever you guys are doing is correct. You are correct. Point. We know it. We know it comes first. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. It doesn't need to be in the right order. That's <laughs> okay. That's fine. Introduced in season four, one character appeared in a whopping 390 episodes, the most of any character. The actress who played wore a wig to conceal her natural hair, which is braided into locks. Ooh, ooh. Okay, yeah, go for it. Can I have a buzzer? Yeah. Kelly. Who is S. Epitha Merkerson? Correct. And you answered in the form of a question. It's like you're sort of like you're putting the whole show together for us. You're putting the whole show together for us. The crimes featured on Law & Order take place within what fictional police precinct? 
which seems to have its more than fair share amount of crime. I can give you... Uh, oh, <laughs> Lori is miming the answer. I'm not good at math. Do it uh, you're again. Not, you're not. <laughs> the 27th precinct. The 27th precinct is correct. That, that's good. Wow, she's good. A fictional precinct. It does not exist. But is that true? It's a fictional precinct? Yeah, it does not exist. They sort of... The 2-7. Sure. Yeah, they elude the 2-7. I know, yeah, Laura's like the 2-7. I've sort of been there. Even though it doesn't exist, I've been there. Uh, they, they say it sort of exists like way uptown, basically. Something like that. So it doesn't exist. But it doesn't exist. But it doesn't exactly like exist. It's too far uptown. No. It's too far uptown. It doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. It might as well not exist. <laughs> Trust me, when I moved to New York, my sister would watch Law & Order episodes and write down the addresses where the crimes took place awesome. and send them to me as That's if that awesome. was real. <laughs> District Attorney Jack McCoy had a reputation for getting romantically involved with his co-workers. And who could blame him? Me. Don't do that. But anyways, he did have six beautiful ADAs that worked with him over 16 seasons, but he only had an affair with one of them, which ADA hooked up with Hang'em High McCoy? Kelly. Who is Claire Kincaid, portrayed by actress Jill Hennessy. Woo-hoo! That is correct. <laughs> so, you know, you're doing great. You, you got them all right so far. You only have one more to get right. Ooh, okay. And then you've done it. Yeah. According to the philosopher Immanuel Kant. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see how you're going to tie that in with law and order. Well, uh, this question is sort of about the uh, philosopher. Uh, Which senior detective said the following quip? Home Alone is a movie, not an alibi. Um... It's Lenny, who is Lenny Briscoe, portrayed by Jerry Orbach. That is correct. Well done. You've done it. You have won. Congratulations. Five questions. Seven. Yeah, sister. You guys cleaned up, and Kelly and Lori, as a little gift for your winnings, we are giving you a uh, Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube that you can take home and solve on your own. Thank you so much. (laughs) Big hand for our contestant helper, Lifeline, Lori Buckman. And one more big round of applause for our VIP, Kelly Goff. I love that. Home Alone is a movie, not an alibi. That guy, that guy had a lot of good quips. Home Alone 2 is an alibi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan Colton, what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a song. You know, sometimes if you do the crime, you got to do the time. Not always, but sometimes. This is a song by Johnny Cash. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling round the bend I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when And I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, time keeps dragging on That train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns But I shot a man in Reno 
just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing I hang my head and cry Thank you. That was Jonathan Colton. Finally, what we've all been waiting for, let's bring back the winners of our previous rounds to play our Ask Me One More final round. From answer in the form of a question, Nick Hudak. From top row, Lorna Jordan. From the Philosopher's Comedy Club, Stan Lee. From Call Me MB, Peter Hoffman. And from By a Vowel, Jessica O'Connell. And I'm going to ask our puzzle guru, John Chinesky, to take us out. What do we got, John? Our final game is called, But Did You Read the Book? Many films are based on books or short stories, but some don't share the original title. For this game, we'll give you the name of the original written work, and you have to tell us the movie it spawned. As an extra clue, we'll also tell you one of the stars of the film. For example, if we said, The Accidental Billionaires, The Founding of Facebook, starring Jesse Eisenberg, you would say, the social network. Now we're playing this spelling bee style, so one wrong answer and you're out. You'll only have a few seconds to give us your answer, and the last person standing is our grand winner. Nick, Anna and the King of Siam, starring Yul Brynner. Uh, uh, the King and I. That's correct. <laughs> Lorna, Queen Bees and Wannabes, starring Tina Fey. Mean Girls. That's right. Stan, Push, starring Gabourey Sidibe. Pull. No, I'm afraid not. Somebody else. <laughs> Step away, Stan. Peter, do you know Push, starring Gabourey Sidibe? Precious. Precious is correct. Very good, Peter. Jessica, do androids dream of electric sheep, starring Harrison Ford? Blade Runner. Blade Runner's right. Last second. Nick. Emma, starring Alicia Silverstone. What is Clueless? Clueless is correct. You're not on Jeopardy. You don't have to answer in the form of a question. It's quite all right. I see. Lorna. The Orchid Thief, starring Nicolas Cage. Adaptation. Adaptation's right. Peter. Wise Guy, Life in a Mafia Family, starring Ray Liotta. Goodfellas. Goodfellas, right. <laughs> Vengeance, the true story of an Israeli counter-terrorist team, starring Eric Bana. Argo. No, it's not Argo. Let's see if Nick can get it. Munich. Munich is right. Way to go, Nick. <laughs> Lorna. Homer's Odyssey, starring George Clooney. Three seconds. Ocean's Eleven. Step aside. Not Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Peter. Oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, brother, where art thou? That was correct. Thank you, Lorna. Now we're down to two. Nick and Peter. Nick. Rocket Boys, a memoir, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. October Sky. That's right. October Sky is right. Peter, Father Goose, One Man, A Gaggle of Geese, and Their Real-Life Incredible Journey South, starring Jeff Daniels. 
Oh. Yay, Nick. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let's see if Nick knows. Nick, do you know it? Flyaway Home. Flyaway Home is correct, and you are the winner, Nick. Congratulations. Nick, you are our Ask Me Another big winner. Your prize is not only a signed copy of Kelly Goff's book, but in case you didn't know all the answers to our Law & Order trivia game, you can watch it constantly on Netflix for the next three months on us as we're giving you a free Netflix streaming account. Congratulations. Well, that's it for Ask Me Another, but it does not have to end here. You can take us with you everywhere by downloading our podcast, or you can find a bunch of games we didn't get to play on Facebook and Twitter. Just look around for NPR Ask Me Another. Ask Me Another's puzzle czar is John Chinesky. Hey, my name is Anagram, so oh heck, ninjas. Our house musician is Jonathan Colton. Launch at Jot Noon. Art Chung Thug. is our puzzle editor, with additional puzzle writing by Travis Larchuk, James Ramsey, Dan Schofield, and Noah Tarno. Ask Me Another is produced by Josh Rogeson, John Asante, and Eleanor Kagan. We are recorded by Paul Ruest. Our senior supervising producer is Jesse Baker. Our general manager is Portia Robertson-Migas. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. We'd like to thank the Bell House. Hot Neil Blues. Our home in Brooklyn, New York. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm her ripe begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Hi, I'm Ophira Eisenberg, host of Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Next time, things might get a little Weird Al when we ask about famous song parodies. And a puzzle master takes on his puzzle grasshopper in a war of words. Who will be victorious? Find out on NPR's Ask Me Another.